Welcome to the Old Chick Snowship Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. This podcast is dedicated to helping midlife women step into the inherent power and wisdom of a time of life when they often feel overlooked and underrepresented and even begin to doubt themselves. Each week, we will cover information and inspirational topics along with real stories from real women who are defying cultural stereotypes and perceptions of midlife. Women who are reinventing themselves, starting businesses, chasing their dreams, and tackling challenges they never thought possible. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Old Chick Snowship podcast. Today, we are talking about grief, and we're talking about grief in a very different context than you might have heard grief talked about before. And it's based on a book by my guest today, which is Grief, the Dance of Self-Discovery Through Trauma and Loss. And my guest is Edie Nathan, who is a psychotherapist. She is a sex therapist, a hypnotherapist. I think there's some more ists on there, but (laughs) wrote this beautiful book about the gift in grief, which is just, anyway, we got to get into this conversation. So welcome, Edie. (laughs) Oh, it's so good to be here. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about how you came to the work on grief. You know, everyone's journey gets them to places that they never expected to get to. And lately I've been using the image of the labyrinth and the labyrinth is broken up into two very distinct ways of going through it. There's either a maze where you, you know, you start to go to the center core, which is exactly what you always want to do. You want to get to that center. You want to get to the self. And But then there are dead ends and there are roots that just don't seem to make sense. And then maybe you've got to start all over again. And then there's the meander, which makes you think that you're almost to the center and then you're not, you're back to the edge again. And grief and loss and the journeys that get you to experiencing that are much like the maze and the meander of the Mm. labyrinth. So for me... It was definitely a maze and it was definitely a meander. And the maze of it was that, you know, when you, I lost the love of my life, who was the love of my life at that time, when I was 26 years old and where I was going in my life was in a completely different place. What loss can do is it can also serve as a a trigger for the things that you didn't work out from your past. And so the abuses that I had gone through, the being overweight, all of the pieces that are also part of grief and part of loss um, started to, to come up. And, you know, I was 26, 27 years old, and I just didn't have any place to go. I went to a group and everybody in the group were lovely women, mainly, who were 80 years old. And I appreciate an 80-year-old going through the loss of a person, a spouse, a partner they've lived with for 50 or 60 years, but their messaging to me was, you're young, don't worry, you'll meet somebody. And that was not the messaging I needed. And it was layered because I had all of these other things that I'd really never completely dealt with. So I changed course. I went from learning how to be a corporate trainer to going back to school, getting a master's degree and using that master's to help me create a way of viewing grief and loss from a creative perspective. And the work that I do has Paul, 
this was the the man who I lost. He's moving through the maze with me. He's moving through that labyrinth as I teach this, as I work through this. And any of the losses that I think that people have can take you down into a place that you really don't want to go to. And it can also be one of your greatest teachers. And the thing about grief, like a labyrinth, the maze and the meander is that it's nonlinear. It does not follow a path that makes any kind of sense. Right. And each one is every labyrinth is completely different to the next. So even somebody who has navigated a labyrinth, it's not your labyrinth. (laughs) No, no. Yeah. That's right. And I think the analogy that you use here is at the labyrinth is brilliant because it really is you know, like my experience with grief, you know, having lost my mother when I was in my 30s or whatever, it is that thing where it's like, oh, it's gone. And then no, it's not gone. And now it's weaving in a different way. And now it's coming out in this way. And I feel like I'm feeling it that way. And it's impacting, like it's different every time it comes back around. That's right. And so you face entering into a brand new labyrinth of the mind, of the brain. You know, your brain is always changing. We, I say that, you know, grief is an ally. Grief is one of your greatest allies and teachers. But, you know, your brain is also, there's no but there, your brain is also one of your greatest allies, because as we learn, Mm -hmm. thankfully, you know, our scientists and our neurologists are like saying, wow, we thought the brain stopped at a certain age. And we're learning it doesn't, it actually keeps creating new pathways. It, It actually keeps, you know, it can shut something that's traumatizing when dealt with can actually quiet and a new pathway can evolve and develop. And that's because of the work that you as people do to heal. Yeah. And we should put into context here as well too, when we're talking about grief, we're not just talking about somebody died because yes, absolutely. That is the most known form, but I know in my own life, you know, having navigated my journey uh, when I, you know, went through, you know, losing my career, um, getting divorced, my kid left home. Like if somebody had told me you're grieving at that point, I was like, "Mm, no, I see it now, but I'm like, oh, it's not, nobody died. Right. And I didn't give myself permission to view it as grief, therefore to treat it as grief. So Mm -hmm. I just stuffed it all down, squeezed it into all the places in my body that it would fit. Until, you know, I found myself and people listening to this podcast have heard this before, you know, I found myself in a meditation class one night, like I felt very compelled to go meditate, I had never meditated. And in that meditation, all of a sudden, it just started bubbling up. And I really I recognize now it was the first time I had actually like literally quieted my brain for a second, (laughs) and allowed it to bubble up. So Mm -hmm. I feel like we are experiencing grief in all different shapes and sizes in all different ways in our lives but we just don't view it that way. Would that's you think right. that's, do you think that's true? Yeah. I, I could not agree with you more. You know, it's really interesting because so often what we're looking for is an accurate label for what's going on and what we're feeling and what, what we're experiencing. And, you know, so often grief and the response to grief, whether it is, you know, the loss of a parent, the loss of, of a relationship, a divorce, you know, illness, mental illness, those are all losses we want to have placeholders. And so often grief is not part of that. And for our conversation and for all the conversations that I that I have about grief, this is so much about the idea of how can I integrate the idea that grief is present and is ever present from the time we are born until we die. 
When we leave the womb, there is grief. When we're pushed out the door by uh, the governing parent, there is grief. There is joy too. But every shift, every new phase that we go into, there's a little bit of grief. And what we want to do is we we innately want to just push it down and push it down and push it down, which is exactly what, what, what you described. Mm-hmm. And but I wonder what would happen, and this is this is what its grief is about, is not just about the loss of a loved one. And and please, everyone know I do not in any way dishonor or disrespect the pain and the torment of losing someone you love. And losing a sense of self, losing the self as the as aging occurs losing the self because of a job or because of the pandemic and not exactly knowing who we are or what we're doing those are all grief reactions but instead we say oh you're anxious oh you're depressed oh you're obsessed Mm -hmm. and that all may be true but grief has got to be part of that conversation so how does grief change that conversation. So, you know, you see somebody struggling post-pandemic, they lost a career or maybe they lost a loved one, right? And they're in that space of, you know, I'm anxious. Like, how does grief change that conversation? Well, I think it changes the way, number one, that you identify with yourself. Like, I am not my anxiety, just like I am not my grief. But boy, if there's grief here, I wonder how I might be able to listen to it differently. Mm. The idea of how you engage with anxiety and anxiety is very temperamental and also nonlinear like grief is can be a place of awakening for for many people, because when you work through it and you deal with anxiety, you know, there's a lot that you learn about yourself, especially how to self-soothe when you're dealing with grief. There's so many different phases that I actually outline in the book, and there's 11 Mm -hmm. in all as I've seen them. And those 11 phases will move in and out of one another, much like a dance. And so if you're anxious and you then say, oh, well, you know what? This is part of my grief. I wonder what I'm angry about, because often grief doesn't stand alone. Usually it's unexpressed anger. And that's when when the anxiety comes up. And when what is anger? When does anger happen? Anger evolves because we can't change something or we can't control an outcome or we feel slighted or we're we're sensitive to something that has really triggered us. And there's anger for what we can't control. There's anger for what we cannot change. And then if we don't express it, it goes immediately into anxiety. It's a very interesting paradigm, but if we by bringing the grief into it, grief actually separates out these different, you know, pieces that can otherwise be elusive and have less of a, you can have less of an understanding of why they're present. Wow. Yeah. The concept of grief and anger being together, again, like not a context that I've heard it put together, but you are so right. Because I mean, in all of my experience with grief, looking back on it now, of course, (laughs) there was a part of me that was so angry that that thing, whatever it was, had been taken away from me, that was out of my control, that I couldn't get back, right? And even allowing myself to be angry at it was a way for me to not deal with the sadness or the grief component. That's right. That's right. And anger is part of it. But the and the expression of anger is really important. But anger doesn't mean rage. It doesn't mean I'm 
you know, it's not road rage. That's not the kind of anger I'm talking about. I'm mm-hmm. talking about this internal experience. It's it's not yeah. about when we go beat somebody up, you know, that's untenable rage. It also comes out of like feeling like you're not being seen, feeling like you're not being heard. But there's nothing like anger to sometimes just keep you quiet and keep you to go inside of the self, which brings me actually to another part of this conversation that's really, I find, just illuminates the book. Because so much of what we as clinicians want to do is to help people heal, right? I mean, that is our goal, Mm -hmm. help you to get to the core of the labyrinth so you can get to the core of you. And that is our goal. You know, that is you know, break through some of the obstacles, understand that they're present, understand how you're going to negotiate through them and with them. However, the process of of therapy and and really the process that I unfold in its grief is you've got to get to know yourself. And one of the things that grief does, the pandemic grief, the grief, the loss of a loved one, the grief when you lose a limb, the grief over the many losses that we have, is that It teaches you perhaps about the self if you ask yourself about yourself. So the questions might look Mm -hmm. like, am I more of an ambivert or an introvert or an extrovert? Because based on whether you fit into more one or the other or the third, you know, the ambivert, it will help you to understand, well, what's the best help? for me, because the introvert isn't going to necessarily want to go to a group there, you know, or talk in a chat room. The introvert may need a one-on-one or maybe just a conversation with a friend and that's enough. Whereas the extrovert might say, you know what, I'm going to talk to a therapist. I'm going to join a group. I'm going to go out and see how many people have have a shared experience with me. And none of that is wrong or right. But knowing who you are and what you need is also part of this. And if you didn't meet grief, you might not then have a chance to, to kind of unfold all these answers. Oh, that is so beautiful. Just in the context of grief allowing us to access what it is that we need, especially like I think as women, right? Like we are so focused on everybody else and everything outside of ourselves, right? That right. this this grief that happens and then it's like, okay, what is it that I need? Like what's causing me the most pain right now? Like what could help mm-hmm. alleviate that pain? And asking those questions is so powerful, but yet it's something that we don't do. Like why don't we do that? Well, I don't think we've had, I think that we don't necessarily have access to thinking of those questions. Mm. It's it's not just that we don't do it. If we don't know something is available to us, then why Mm. would we, you know, this gives, it's grief really gives a platform for thinking of the self in a very different way. You know, are you a mutable, you know, kind of personality? Are you a cardinal personality or are you more fixed? And actually this has taken you know, more from like astrology, believe it or not, the fixed, the mutable and the cardinal. But I talk about this again in my book, and it will help you to perceive who you are on this particular journey. And will it shift and change? You bet. But the cardinal person, if let's say your car breaks down and now you've got this big boulder or there's a boulder that has stopped your car and all of a sudden it's like you've got to get to the other side. So the cardinal person will climb the mountain and or climb the boulder and say, I've got this and get to the other side, whereas the fixed will start to just hit the boulder, find something that they can break the boulder apart and they will systematically try to work it out so they can get 
to the other side. Whereas the mutable will say, hold on, start to call everybody who's on the road and get a whole bunch of people to help them master this boulder. And once again, it's like, who are you on this journey? Because boy, if you feel like you don't need anybody, well, maybe you do. And what is it going to take to ask for help? So that's just a, a, a very brief you know, perspective on all of the different kinds of grief. And, you know, I know that your audience are, you know, over 40s. And I think about, you know, being over 40 and, you know, 40 is the is the new 50 and 50 is the new 60. And we talk about all of this. And why is it set up that way? Well, my guess is because the idea of that loss of the idea of being 40 and that life is still very exciting and and your future is still in creation mode and at 50 it used to be that maybe you weren't in that creation mode anymore but now you can be and now the sky's the limit and you know so how do we manage to change kind of this perspective that is you know really remobilizing itself Mm. on aging and how we feel about ourselves and how we feel about our bodies. And my new conversation in this new book that I'm actually writing is called Sexual Healing, Sexual Grief. Because when a woman enters menopause, when when men have, you know, erectile dysfunction, you know, there is grief there. When you stop being looked at the way you used to be looked at when you walk down the street or when you have weight gain or when your desire just goes in the slumps, if there's not sexual grief there or grief there, then I don't know. I'm not exactly sure what else is there. There might be anger. There might, for some women, be relief. But I believe that there's also sexual grief. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I was going to ask you about this because I'm very curious about this book. And so we'll definitely talk more about that. But the idea that like, giving ourselves permission to grieve who we were, like as mothers, as partners, as bodies, as, you know, whatever, as we move into this next chapter of our lives, like you said, everything's changing, you know, the way you look is changing, the way you see yourself in the mirror is changing your kids, everything, right? And we're moving into this chapter of our lives that I feel like we as a culture, and we as people get stuck in this place where we're trying constantly to go backwards and like make ourselves look younger, pretend we're not aging, rather than kind of embracing the new. But an important part of embracing the new is allowing ourselves space to grieve who we were, I think. Yeah. And again, it is grief. Okay, so this is some part of me that I feel I've lost. But it's also an opportunity to be curious and creative with what you might be able to, to create. Like, okay, so you know, I'm vaginally dry or sex hurts or my desire is flat. Well, guess what? There's Tantra. There are a whole slew of opportunities to explore the body and it comes out of grief, but it's kind of like, okay, so I'm in my infancy with this new body, with these new experiences. And yet, how can I masterfully get excited about what I can create next and how I'm going to face this boulder, that metaphorical boulder. Yeah. And as you mentioned earlier, asking yourself the questions about what do I need? What is the best approach for me? Like, where can I find support? Like all of those things and really getting deep on those questions. 
yes. is so critical to navigating that. But again, I think most of us haven't given ourselves permission to even call it grief. <laughs> no, well, you know, again, is it permission or is it just, wow, I didn't even think of it this way because you even yeah. mentioned that earlier on, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's true because, you know, I think we've just been told that, you know, somebody dies, you're grieving, but yet any loss of anything, no matter how large or small it may appear to somebody else is, yeah, it's grief worthy. Let's put it that way. (laughs) It is. It's, it is, it's grief. And, you know, the other thing is that when, if we've used our bodies in a certain way for work or for pleasure, and all of a sudden there are things that are going on that we don't expect, or because of the loss of a loved one, all of a sudden the way that we identify ourselves or look at ourselves shifts. You know, as I started our conversation today, I said, you know, that that the loss of my first love really brought up all of these other issues. And sometimes it is these moments in time that can bring up a past trauma that we might not have remembered. And it's happening at what feels like the worst time, like all of a sudden remembering a traumatic incident or a traumatic experiencing. But sometimes around the time of in the 40s, in the 50s, in the 60s, memories can start to pop up. And it it may happen because you're not as busy with kids, with career, there's more quiet and you're 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 not running from here to there to the moon and so now all of a sudden in the quiet moments in those twi- tiny quiet moments those memories begin perhaps as fragments perhaps as dreams to pop in and you know then grief of another kind comes in absolutely i totally agree because i know in the instance where like I was on the yoga mat and all this emotion started to come up, but I actually couldn't even identify what it was. I, you know, I was there going, okay, get your shit together, Jennifer, like, you know, control yourself. But I couldn't, it literally just came out. And so my body was reacting, like was expelling this grief before my mind even knew what it was. It was only after like, so I went to this meditation class, sobbed my way through it, like not just cried, sobbed my way through it. And then at the end, the teacher says, well, I'm, I'm starting an eight-week series if you'd like to join. And I, before I even knew what I did, I signed up and I joined for eight weeks. And every week for eight weeks, I went in and I sat on the mat and some more came out. And around week four or so, I was like, okay, I obviously can't control this no matter how hard I try. It was just coming out. I'm like, okay, we're going to let it. It was only after it had kind of all come out that I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Like my brain caught up with what my body was experiencing. So do you find that as like one of the ways that people experience grief, like not even being fully conscious of it? Hey there, just a quick break in the conversation to share some important information from one of the companies that support this show. Ladies, you're going to want to check out hemplily.com, especially if you have symptoms of perimenopause and menopause, like insomnia or hot flashes. Hempley offers an alternative wellness product that can help you stay asleep at night, relax away stress and anxiety, soothe achy body parts, as well as reduce hot flashes and night sweats. I've been using CBD and hemp products for my unending menopause symptoms for years. I mean, are the hot flashes and night sweats ever going to end? And honestly, they've been a game changer for me. No more waking up a thousand times every night. They help me stay asleep and wake up feeling refreshed. 
And what I love most about Hemplily is that if you're not sure which product will work best for you, you can simply give them a call. They offer free consultations before, during, and after your purchase so you get the relief you need, backed with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So go to hemplily.com today and use the code CHICKS, C-H-I-C-K-S, at checkout for 25% off your entire order and free shipping anywhere in the United States. Now, you all know that I love a great reinvention story and also supporting women-run businesses. Hemplily's founder, Terry Uzon, had fibromyalgia, and she refused to believe that taking prescriptions for the rest of her life was the only answer. Along her journey to restoring her health, she discovered that hemp was the answer for many other issues, along with menopause symptoms. And so she created Hemplily to share this knowledge with you. More and more women are now using hemp CBD to manage the daily symptoms that stand in the way of creating their best next chapter. Hemp Lily brings you top quality products so that you can feel great and live your best life. So if you seek calm and productive days, a pain-free body, improved memory and focus, restless nights, and less symptoms of menopause, head over to hemplily.com. That's H-E-M-P-L-I-L-Y.com and enter the code CHICKS to save 25% off your entire order. Now let's get back to the conversation. Oh, absolutely. And I love how you say, you know, you're, what did you say? My brain caught up. Yeah. My body, well, my body and my brain hadn't caught up yet. Yeah. That's right. Because sometimes, you know, we hold our stories in our bodies for sure, you know, and it comes out in a lot of different ways. You know, for some people who are, you know, overweight, part of the reason they are overweight is because there was some kind of traumatic incident that occurred. And the best way to protect the self is to create a boulder around yourself and its weight. And when there are these breakthroughs around certain traumas, and maybe it's like crying on a yoga mat because all of a sudden you're actually with your body and your body begins to tell you what's going on and it's just the tears. And the it's like you've been held hostage, okay, mm-hmm. and imprisoned. And that's actually the, the very terminology and the reclaiming of the self that I talk about in this yet to be published new book, which is that you are held hostage by sexual grief. And I think that we are also held hostage by grief and and by all of the elements of grief. And how do we then become curious about whatever gets displayed or is an outlet for it, like your tears on a yoga mat? And to then say, okay, I'm going to be curious about this and I'm going to talk to it and I'm going to listen. And instead of just shutting it down and pushing it back down so that you don't like experience it, you actually welcome it. And there is nothing more that a hostage taker wants than to be listened to. Beautiful analogy again. Yeah. And that's so important too, because at least like in my experience, like going through grief is an identity shift right? It's just like you go in one side of it and you come out the other side, like still who you are, but like there's a huge shift in in your identity. And that can be, I think that can be a struggle, right? Like, so even Mm -hmm. there's grief within grief, right? Because I was this (laughs) person before and now I've gone through whatever the trauma that had caused me to have the grief and now I'm a completely different person. Right. Yeah. That for me was like a fascinating concept. And then getting to know and you talk about this like a lot, right? Like is getting to know who you are on the other side of it. That's right. Like what's changed? <laughs> like, yeah. 
That's right. It forever changes you. And the thing is, is, you know, life is only linear because we age in a linear way, but everything between what is linear is nonlinear. All of the experiences that we have, they're nonlinear. They don't necessarily follow a path. Sometimes they don't make sense and until they do. Yeah, because I think most of us who who have been through any kind of trauma or loss, like we come out the other side knowing that we are not the same person, but yet mm-hmm. not yet identified with who that new person is. And I think this is where the power of you talking about the questioning, like, you know, what is it that I need? Who am I? What feels good and resonant to me? What kind of support do I need? I think is like just asking those questions. Who am I? Right. Like I ask that question right. like every day for I don't even know how many months. Like, who am That's I? Right. Who am I? Like waiting for the mm-hmm. answer. Who am I? And who do I want to be? And how do I want to be in this life? How do I want to be in this life? And you know, the pandemic has brought up that question in many, you know, it's manifested itself in many different ways. And, you know, do I really want to be tied down to going to an office? Do I really want to have to get dressed up every single day? Do I really want to have to spend an hour and a half in my car getting from point A to point B? And a lot of people have said no and have really needed a redirect. Mm-hmm. Well, when you say no to what you've known, it's exciting and there's grief there. Yeah. yeah that Same you can hold- marriage you've been in. Yeah. And that you can hold both things, right? Like you can hold the excitement for the future with the grief at the same time. It's a, it's a yes. And it's an absolute yes. And yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think you raise a good point there. Like just in terms of like the amount of grief, whether people are aware of it or would call it that, like just even from missed opportunities that happened during COVID, like I didn't get to spend Christmas with my family or whatever it was. Right. Like even those things, are, you know, moments where we need to allow ourselves the time to grieve that. That's right. That's yeah. right. And it is, I like how you phrase that. It is time to grieve, giving yeah. yourself the time. And <laughs> historically, we've, we've wanted to take grief and mourning and culturally just like, just clean it up because it's messy. Yeah. And um, it is really the willingness to get into the mess. Because when you get into the mess and you get yourself a little bit dirty with it, because it's going to create that chaos in your brain anyway. So if you just engage with it and partner with it and and really say, okay, so what dance are we going to do today? Are we are we doing the twist? Are we doing the tango? You know, are we just doing like a, a, a slow meditative dance? Well, you know, you're going to meet all different kinds of ways to partner and to listen and to be curious and to really find ways so that you are no longer held hostage by grief, by sexual grief. These are hostage takers. And it's not that they go away, but the way they are with you and the way you are with them shifts. Mm, Yeah. Instead of resisting it, because as you were talking to, I was thinking, you know, as a society, as a culture, we're uncomfortable with grief, right? Like, when we see somebody grieving, we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. And then that person doesn't feel, you know, empowered to be able to share their grief because they don't want to make that other person uncomfortable. So it becomes this whole thing that basically, like you said, holds us hostage in this, like we're trapped in this 
in this thing, right? And so you ask a person is grieving, how are you doing? They're like, oh, I'm okay. But never will they tell you, I hurt everywhere. Like I didn't sleep last night. Like my, you know, my heart is broken. Like you won't get that. This like, oh, I'm doing okay. No, well, it's the mask. And I have a whole section in It's Grief about the mask and about the roles that we played and and, and really about archetypes. And the archetypal conversation is an interesting one because we don't really talk about archetypes, but, you know, archetypes are, you know, from a Jungian kind of psychological psychology perspective, they are collective symbols and images that we all know. So an archetype might be a mother mother archetype. I don't care what language, I don't care what your socioeconomic background is, you know, or where you are from. If I say the mother in your language, you will have an image of what that is. You may not have had a mother or maybe you were in, you know, adopted, but you know what what that is or father or hero or warrior. And these are all archetypal like symbols that we can all relate to. And when you're on this grief journey, I like the idea of saying, you know what, maybe you need more mother archetypal energy, or maybe you need more father or more warrior or more hero, or maybe the trickster is around and the trickster wants to make you think that you're really fine when you're not. And you embody the trickster with a mask and the mask shows everyone I'm fine, but inside you're dying you're hurting. And if we could only take greater chances, you know, we talk about authenticity. It's not my favorite word, to be honest with you, because it's been used so much that I think we've lost what it is. But what if it's an honest portrayal of the self? Yeah. How beautiful is that? And not taking responsibility for the other person's reaction to that, just being able to- Their reaction is their reaction. And if they can't hold it, you can hope that they are able-bodied enough to take care of themselves. Yeah. And I think the other part too, that does us a huge disservice as a culture is like we put, and I know I did this, you put a time limit on grief, right? It's like, oh, okay, it's been a month. I got to get back to work. Oh, I got to, you know, do these things- Right. Like, and there is no time limit. There's no no time limit on grief. And, you know, people ask all the time, okay, so it's been a year, right? I should be better. And I don't know what better means. Mm. So I'd like to just for our conversation here to think that better might be that you identify less as someone who's grieving and more of someone who knows grief and carries it with them, but doesn't need to completely identify as a person who is grieving. I, I, I will never forget this guy, Paul. I will never forget my mother or my father who died way too early, you know? So get over. Mm. I'm being very nice right now, but when I'm in my groups, it's like, this is not about getting over anything. This is about how are you going to learn to live with this and, and remember in a way that it hurts less. Right. Beautifully said, beautifully said, you know, I was reading this thing a while back, um, might've been probably about a year about um, a tribal culture where when somebody experienced a loss, like, like let's say a wife lost her husband, part of their tribal culture is that woman goes into this tent and they bring her food and they take care of her kid. Like the whole village takes care of her kids. And her only job is to stay in this like grief tent or whatever and grieve 
and come out when she's ready and she could stay there for as long as she wants. And I was like, what a beautiful honoring of, mm-hmm. you know, the person who's lost, but also the person who's grieving, right? Like yeah. we're going to take care of everything. And this is your only job. If it's two days, it's two months, like whatever, just go do your thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like imagine yeah. if we could imagine if we could treat people that way. Well, imagine if we could actually understand that grief is part of our lives Mm. and that instead of just saying, oh, I'm anxious or I'm depressed, that we could actually say, you know what, I'm grieving something and it's, um, it's eating me up inside. Yeah. And yeah. And then the people around you cringe and walk away because they don't know what to say. But you know, we become, we have to be the teachers and, and and this is something that, you know, (laughs) It's it's part of one of the greatest, I think, ways that we can help ourselves is when we are ready to teach the people around us that that our grief is okay. And it's not dangerous and it's not scary. And it actually can open up pathways that we never expected. Mm. Doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. I love that. And how do we teach people? Is that in like um, asking for what we need or, or just well, it could sharing be asking pain? for what you need, or it could be just, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about my grief, but understand that you don't need to do anything. The mm. best thing that you could do is maybe just listen because we want to take care of often and we want to make it go away. Right. And, and so what if it's, well, you know, I think that, that this may be part of who I am, but it doesn't mean that it defines me. It doesn't mean I can't go and laugh and have joy. And, you know, there's sometimes there's going to be a spot at the table for my lost partner. And sometimes, you know, I'm going to need to talk about them. And if you're uncomfortable, then I need you to let me know because I'll stop, but I'll know that you're uncomfortable. Mm. Oh, I love that. I love that with but like taking responsibility for our own needs in those that's situations right. as very opposed to just so. swallowing them to make everybody else feel better. Very much so. Very, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. That is so beautiful. So if there's somebody listening who has recently experienced a loss is, you know, struggling with it, like what is the first piece of advice? I mean, I know there's a million <laughs> contexts and, but like, what is the advice that you would give somebody who's sitting in grief right now? Well, there's, there's, there's two things. One, be curious about it instead of wanting to push it away, which we tend to want to do, or instead of like just being a shut in around it, which sometimes people want to do, or just saying, I'm fine. Actually like, like, listen, be curious. How are you handling it? How is it affecting you? You know, truly ask all of the different body parts what's going on with you mm. and you'd be you'd be surprised where you might hear something or feel something being aware you know is has your appetite been affected has your sleep been affected has the way that you socialize or who you reach out to been affected and all of this again is in in its grief but you know it's also i, I don't have this in the book but it will be in the second book uh healing sexual grief which is, um, what is your warning label? And we, we all have different warning labels and my warning label can shift or change. But you know, you've seen like on a mattress, like warning label, you know, do not cut off this label and you will be charged if you do, you know, whatever. It's, it's really a funny warning label, but, but we all walk around with different kinds of warning labels depending on where we are. And so 
like I've had many different warning labels and really even depending on where I'm going, I might change that warning label. So sometimes like I'm in a new area right now, I don't really know this area. And so I'm very kind of circumspect and I'm careful about where I'm walking. And so my internal warning label is be careful, don't get too close. And I would love for people to start to think about, well, in terms of their grief, what is their warning label? And how does that warning label shift and change depending on who they are, where they are, and what they need? Oh, I like that. The idea of like a situational warning label, because it's not going to yeah. be the same in every... Because it's not. No. Right? If you're at a party versus you're you know, having a conversation with a friend or, you know, Correct. in a place and, that you went it, together. It, absolutely. And if you've gone back to work after, you know, a breast cancer diagnosis and you're fine, but everybody knows you've been out because of that, then you might not want to be talking about it. And you might like have this mask of, you know what, I'm okay. And so maybe your warning label is I have a mask on, don't try to break it. Don't try to get through because you're not, you know, and you know that. And it keep it kind of keeps you feeling safe, like it's okay. And if people yeah. try you, like, oh, I, you know what, I have a warning label, it's okay. Yeah, and again, like being able to communicate that with people to say, you know what, I'm still in the process of this. Here's the things that I am comfortable talking about, and this is where this is off limits. Again, it is so empowering to be able to create that safe space for you because I think totally. that's the, like you know, I, I'm thinking about my own experience, and I, I think because we've never been taught how to navigate grief, it feels like it could completely kill you. And so like, there's a fear associated with really like, like you said, sitting with it, like, I might never recover from this, right? Like, it's going to consume me. It's going to consume me. That's right. Yeah. So creating those boundaries about that can create that your own bubble, your own safe space is brilliant. I wish I had thought of that. Um, (laughs) That's why you do what you do. But well, yeah. And that's why you are making sure that this message gets out there because it's really important. It right? is really important. And yeah, and just creating that safe space for you to hold the grief and to sit with the grief. And, you know, whether that safe space is a physical space or, you know, a space within you or it's a space in nature or like whatever it is. That's right. That's right. And you know what? This is the thing is that you, there's lots of different ways that it comes in and it's about listening on a lot of different levels. And so sometimes writing in a journal can help. Sometimes exercising can help. Sometimes making sure that you're just well, you've got good nutrition. Sometimes it's talking to someone. Sometimes it's talking to someone who's a professional. Sometimes it's talking to somebody within your cultural belief system, whatever that is, even if it's nothing at all, but somebody who aligns with you spiritually. So there are just, you know, grief can cause such a spiritual emergency and a doubting of what you thought you believed. And so, you know, these are all the different ways, you know, taking care of the self physically, spiritually, emotionally, and psychically. Mm, Wow. You know, there should be like a school of grief that everybody should go to, like at some point early, like maybe as kids or something, right, that we learn about this thing. Because unfortunately, by the time most of us experience grief, which, you know, knock on wood for most of us is kind of as we're moving along in life, right? And it's this thing that comes out of left field and just like mows you over and then you're left like, right? But like, what if you kind of 
hey, I just had a big loss. You know, here's like, not that you can predict what it's going to be because you won't know, but I'm going to give myself space because I know that I'm going to be changed. I know something is going to be different inside me, right? And that I can hold space for those shifts that are happening. That's right. And one of the things that I suggested, again, it's it's not in this book, it'll be in the next book, is creating a timeline of where, you know, where grief you know, hit you. And if you look at the timeline where where you didn't think it hit, but it did, and you look at that timeline, or you look at the timeline of where, you know, maybe there were some sexual grief losses, you know, some, some primal sexual experience where you, you really lost some part of yourself. And you look at that timeline and you, you really just like start to document, and then you start to actually converse with those parts of you. Mm. Oh, I love that. I love that. We are most definitely going to have to have a conversation when your next book comes out, because this this topic of sexual grief, I feel like for menopausal women is so, so critical because like our relationship with our bodies and our sexual selves is in such turmoil during this time. And for me, I mean, there's a large part of my menopausal journey where I'm like, my body is betraying me right now. Yeah. And I don't know who you are, but I haven't met you and you haven't formally introduced yourself. You right. Know? I'm like, whose body right. is this? Because it's not That's mine. Right. And it feels like your body is betraying you and it's a yeah. traitor. And yeah. it's like, what? What do you? Yeah. I, so, and we don't talk about it. And, you know, sadly, so often, you know, medications are given and, and that's fine because sometimes that's what's needed. But there's another conversation that I think also needs to be had around this. Well, and even having that conversation like with our partners, right? It's like, my body is not my body. It's not not the body that you knew, not the body that I knew. And I don't even know how to tell you what this new body needs or wants, right? So being even able to have that conversation. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. There has to be a whole other podcast episode on this one. I have much, I have many questions and much. I can't wait. I can't wait to to have it with you. And I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah. Thank you very much for this conversation for the book. I'm about halfway through it. I such a necessary conversation. And I wish I had read this book long before grief ever entered my world, because I think it would have saved me a lot of, well, because here's the other thing, right? Like, I turned a lot of my grief on myself because I didn't know how to deal with it. That's right. So this is when you dance with it and you partner with it, you actually take it kind of almost outside of the self so you can see it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like viewing it unto itself. Unto itself because it is, you know, it's an embodiment and it affects you, but again, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be all of you. It doesn't have to, you know, it affects you. And and let's create some distance so you can actually partner with it. Because you can't partner with something that's just like, it's it's harder to partner with something that is so part of you. But if you you actually cre- think of it, oh, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen and I'm going to watch yeah, and I'm going to dance. Yeah. And how does it want to show up today? And yeah, how can it Yeah. Go? Or in the next minute. Or in the next minute. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, so good. Thank you. Thank you for the work that you do. Um, everybody, you. I think this needs to be part of the midlife women's reading list. I'm creating a book. 
<laughs> I mean, a list of all the books that are oh, like good. mandatory reading for the shift as we navigate this next through into this next chapter of life. This one absolutely, I think, is on that list. And being able to see the gift in grief, which truly is at the end of it. And it's not to say you're going to walk into grief feeling like you just won the prize. That's not it. Right. Yeah. But no matter how badly wrapped, no matter how ugly the wrapping is, I there is always a gift in it somewhere. And if that yes. gift is, you know, understanding yourself better, that is a beautiful gift to receive. Um, and yeah. the how you lay out this book and how you talk about that dance of self-discovery within grief, I think is so beautifully written. So I encourage everybody, we'll make sure we put it in the show notes. I encourage anybody who has experienced or will be experiencing, which we all will be experiencing grief at some point in our lives, that this is a, a context in which to view grief that is probably different than anything you've ever seen before. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this time. We loved thank this you. conversation. And like good. I said, you are definitely coming back as soon. When is the next book going to be out? I don't know, probably 2024, but, oh, okay. um, but there's going to be, Always. you know, more prompting, <laughs> more prompting about it. And, you know, I think that having the conversation before it comes out in a fuller way is also really great. So we'll yeah. stand. We will definitely be having that conversation. So to everybody listening, go grab the book and thank you for spending this time with Edie and I today. We'd love it if you'd give us a rating or a review or better yet, if you pass this podcast on to a friend or a relative especially now coming out of COVID and we're all navigating grief in some way or shape or form, this book would be a beautiful gift for somebody. So, and this podcast could be, could change somebody. So please share this with a friend or a relative who might need it. And until next time. Thank you for listening to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend, subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen in.